Hi, and welcome to this podcast for Doctrine and Covenants Section 1. I am David J. Ridges, the author of the three-volume study guide series entitled Your Study of the Doctrine and Covenants Made Easier. Please note that the title says easier, not easy, because you, of course, need to do your part of the work involved in gaining a testimony, a deeper testimony, and knowledge of the Doctrine and Covenants. The Doctrine and Covenants is the Savior's book directly to us. For those of us who are English speakers, there has been no translation. This is the book that came straight from the Savior to us in the language that it was given through the prophet Joseph Smith. This Doctrine and Covenants section 1 was given on November 1st, 1831. By way of a little bit of background, the church at this point was approximately one and a half years old, and Joseph Smith, the prophet, was 25 years old. In the heading to section 1, and by the way, I would recommend, if you would care to, to have your scriptures right with you during this podcast, particularly the Doctrine and Covenants, so that you can uh, read along with me as we study certain verses. In the heading to section 1, you can see that by this time, several revelations have been received. And this revelation, section 1, along with section 133, they were both given at a special conference that had been convened at this point. By this point in the history of the church, several revelations have been received. And at this specific conference, it was determined to print these revelations in book form and to call it the Book of Commandments. Now, if you've got your Doctrine and Covenants with you, let's turn to section 1, verse 6, and see where they're going to get the title for this compilation of revelations uh, entitled the Book of Commandments. Well, let's read verse 6. <clears throat> the Savior is speaking. Behold, this is mine authority and the authority of my servants. And Note this, my preface to the book of my commandments. There's the phrase, the book of my commandments. So the leaders of the church at this point, who were going to publish in book form the revelations that the prophet had received up to now, they were going to use that for a title, the book of commandments, taken from verse 6 here. Uh, by the summer, this is 1831, by the way, as mentioned in the heading, by the summer of 1833, the printing of 3,000 copies of these 65 revelations was well underway in, on the printing press owned by W.W. W. Phelps, William W. Phelps, uh, 
on his printing press in Independence, Missouri. However, on Saturday, July 20th, a mob destroyed the two-story printing building and destroyed the printing press and the type and destroyed most of the copies of the Book of Mormon and destroyed most of the copies of the Book of Commandments that had been printed up to that time. Also, they took several big sheets that had the printed pages on them, uncut yet, and tossed them out. Some young girls rescued some of these sheets and hid in a cornfield while the mob tried to find them. At any rate, the Book of Commandments, and I have a copy of it, many of you probably do too, you can buy them, uh, was basically stopped at this point in the summer of 1833. By the summer of 1835, when they were considering printing the Book of Commandments again, this is about two years later, by the summer of 1835 there had been many more revelations received, and in a conference on August 17, 1835, approval was given to print 65, the 65 revelations of the Book of Commandments, plus another 37 revelations that had been received since the destruction of the Book of Commandments. The brethren determined to call it the Doctrine and Covenants. And at this, in 1835, it had a total of 102 sections and was to be known as the Doctrine and Covenants. And what we're talking about then is the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now let's get to Doctrine and Covenants section one. By the way, chronologically, the sections two through 66 precede section one. But as we've just been talking about, section one was given by the Savior as his preface to these sections, and so Doctrine and Covenants obviously comes first, just like the preface should in any book. Notice the first word. It's hearken. And hearken is a powerful word. If you're marking your scriptures, you might want to just put a little note above hearken and put the words hear and obey. Now, some people think that the main word, meaning of hearken is to hear, and they're certainly right, but the main meaning includes the idea of listening and obeying. Let's uh, go to First Nephi chapter 4, verse 32, if you will. I'll try and repeat the references two or three times so you have time to do it. First Nephi chapter 4, we'll go to verse 32. The setting for verse 32 is that the servant of Laban has come out uh, with the records that Nephi and his brothers were sent back to Jerusalem to obtain. 
and the servant of Laban has come with Nephi outside the city walls and has been startled to find that what who he thought was his master is actually Nephi dressed in his master's clothes, the clothes of Laban. And uh, verse 32, and it came to pass, and by the way, Zoram, the servant of Laban, has decided to leave and go back very quickly, and Nephi has grabbed hold of him, is holding him, so he can't flee. And in verse 32, and by the way, we're looking for the meaning of the word hearken here. Verse 32, First Nephi chapter 4, And it came to pass that I spake with him, that if he would hearken unto my words, there's one instance of hearken, as the Lord liveth, which is the most powerful promise in that culture, as the Lord liveth, and as I live, even so that if he would hearken unto our words, there's the word again, hearken, we would spare his life. Obviously, the word hearken here is more than hear. It means hear and obey. Now, uh, let's go to another example of this. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, for another example of hearken. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, there's the word hearken, ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother, hath he made mention of my name. This is talking about Christ, who will be a light to the Gentiles. You can see that in the heading of chapter 49. So once again, hearken, ye people, and by the way, there's a exhaustive concordance of the Bible called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Uh, and this is number 7181, and the word hearken is described and defined in Strong's Concordance uh, as being hear and heed. In other words, listen and obey. So, the Doctrine and Covenants begins with hear and obey. By the way, in section 1, verses 24 to 28, the Savior tells us his purposes in giving us the Doctrine and Covenants. And so let's go to verses 24 to 28, and we will read these and comment as we go along. Behold, I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me. In other words, I've given you these. And were given unto my servants in their weakness after their manner of their language. In other words, I spoke to Joseph Smith and the other leaders of the church in their language, and I recognize that they have weaknesses. That applies to all of us, of course. And here he starts telling us, what the purposes of the Doctrine and Covenants are. I'm going to point out seven of them. The first one is at the end of verse 24. Uh, that they might come to understanding. You might underline or mark 
understanding and put a little one by that. Let's see what the next one is. Verse 25. And inasmuch as they erred, it might be made known. In other words, if we study the doctrine and covenants, we will find out things that we're doing wrong or not doing. In other words, we are in error in our lives, and the Lord is kind enough to let us know so we can fix it. So, erred, inasmuch as they erred, it might be made known. That's the second purpose of the Doctrine and Covenants, according to the Savior himself. Verse 26, And inasmuch as they sought wisdom, they might be instructed. In other words, number three, purpose is to teach us, and we have to want to learn and grow in wisdom. So, point number three is that we might be taught by him, of course. The fourth purpose that he gives us is in verse 27, and inasmuch as they sinned, they might be chastened, that they might repent. In other words, the fourth point is that since all of us sin, of course, we might be uh, instructed or chastened or called to account for it, and that way we can repent. President Nelson has emphasized the joyful privilege of repenting every day, and uh, all of us hopefully are looking at repentance as a gift that can bring happiness and so we would repent and uh, not feel like it's a, a negative thing, but it's a most positive thing in our lives. All right, number five point is in verse 28. And inasmuch as they were humble, they might be made strong. So through humility and studying the Doctrine and Covenants and, of course, the full gospel, we can be made strong. And that is uh, what we're trying to do, strong in living the gospel, strong in helping others, strong in living the gospel and loving others and serving others. And you can go on and on. It's a wonderful blessing. Number six is also in verse 28. That we might be made strong was number five. And number six is that we might be blessed from on high. And then number seven, at the end of verse 28, is that they might receive knowledge from time to time. In other words, we'll have ongoing revelation, both personal and through the leadership of the church, the prophets, seers, and revelators that we have been blessed with, with whom we have been blessed. Now, the Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, contains many major messages to us, and we won't have time to go through all of them, but we will do several, so let's go. Um, we find out in Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, that God is completely fair. That is very significant. God is completely fair to all people. They are all his children. Let's read that in verse 2. 
Verse 2, for verily the voice of the Lord is unto all men. In other words, everyone. And that alone says that God is completely fair. In other words, everyone gets a perfect set of chances here on earth. Let's continue with verse 2. I'll start over. For verily the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and there is none to escape. In other words, everyone will hear the voice of the Lord. They will have the chance to hear the pure gospel, whether it's in this life or in the spirit world, post-mortal spirit world mission field. There is none to escape, and there is no eye that shall not see, neither ear that shall not hear, neither heart that shall not be penetrated. How many times can he say it? Everyone will get a completely fair chance before Judgment Day to hear, understand, and feel the testimony in their heart. They will, their hearts will all be penetrated, and then they will use their agency, having a perfect set of chances to understand the gospel, and then they can accept it or reject it. That gives us hope for our loved ones and others who have departed this earth life, who maybe didn't live the gospel here. We don't judge as to whether or not they have received the perfect chance yet before they died, in fact. But we know that they will. I love verse 2. God is completely fair. Everyone gets a completely fair set of chances, opportunities to hear the gospel and understand it and then accept it or reject it. Let's go on to another uh, and good verse here. All of them are good, of course, in section one. Let's look at verses four and five, reminding us that no one will stop the progress of the gospel going forth to throughout the entire world in this last dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times, which is the time in which we live right now. Verses four and five, no one will stop the gospel. Verse four, and the voice of warning shall be unto all people by the mouths of my disciples whom I have chosen in these last days. By the way, these disciples can of course include our general authority, leaders and also the general officers of the church, the marvelous Relief Society and uh, young women and primary leaders. Verse 5, and they shall go forth and none shall stay them. No one will stop them. That's the Savior's statement. That's prophecy by him. And none shall stay them, for I the Lord have commanded them. Let's look at another major message. In verse 7, Jesus will bear his testimony that everything he says in the Doctrine and Covenants will be fulfilled. Let's read verse 7. Wherefore fear and tremble, O ye people, 
here it is, for what I, the Lord, have decreed in them in the doctrine and covenants, in his revelations to us, what I, the Lord, have decreed in them shall be fulfilled, period. Another interesting statement in Doctrine and Covenants section 1 is, in effect, that we are writing our own script for our own judgment on Judgment Day. That's in verse 10. Let's read it. See how it says it. Verse 10. Under the day when the Lord shall come to recompense, in other words, pay unto every man according to his work, and measure to every man according to the measure which he has measured to his fellow men. So we are in effect writing our own script for our own judgment by how we treat others. That's a huge major message in the Doctrine and Covenants. Now let's go to verses 13 through 16 for another major message. Verse 13, And the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven. By the way, there's a phrase in Isaiah chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, that uses the word bathed. And in that context, in Isaiah chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, the phrase is bathed in blood. In other and now we see the word bathed in verse 13. And the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven, and it shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. The phrase in Isaiah, bathed in blood, means the destruction that the Lord will bring upon the wicked. Verse 14 <clears throat> And the arm of the Lord shall be revealed, and the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, by the way, will not, means and implies that they refuse to hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles, shall be cut off from among the people. For they have strayed from mine ordinances. In other words, he's going to tell us why they will be destroyed or bathed in blood or bathed in heaven by the sword of the Lord, the destructive power that uh, is going to come upon them unless they repent. Starting with verse 15, the Lord tells us why. And I like to look at verses 15 and 16 as a description of spiritual anarchy. In other words, those who refuse to listen to the gospel and want to make their own rules and do not uh, live the gospel or even listen to it. So verse 16, here's the reason, here's the problem. And here, like I said, is spiritual anarchy. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way. In other words, to make their own rules. And after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol. In other words, they're just like idol worshippers of old. They 
make their own gods and will not listen to the true God, which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon. Babylon is a descriptive term of Satan's kingdom. Even Babylon the great, which shall fall. That's a, in other words, the wicked in the world represent Satan's kingdom and that kingdom will fall. It'll, the fall will be a great collapse of Satan's kingdom, particularly when the Savior comes for the second coming. All right, another interesting major message here in section one. Let's go clear over to verse 30, if you will, with me. I love this because it tells exactly what's happening, especially, in my opinion, this started happening very dramatically uh, with President Gordon B. Hinckley, and it is continuing in spectacular fashion under President Russell M. Nelson. And that is that the church will come out of obscurity. Obscurity is a word that simply means that hardly anybody knows about us. But what's happening now? Verse 30. And also those to whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church. That's what our early pioneers did in our early leaders of the restoration and the faithful saints clear back then did they laid the foundation going on with verse 30 they were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it forth out of obscurity that's the key thing that i would mark if they were my scriptures to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. By the way, that describes our church. It's true and also living means that it has ongoing revelation through prophets. We, it is a living, the living gospel of Christ. And we get ongoing revelation constantly. So the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, with which I, the Lord, am well pleased, speaking unto the church collectively and not individually, because even at that time there were some members who were not living the gospel and even living in hypocrisy, wanting to look good but not being good. So... The church has come forth, in my opinion, this prophecy here in verse 30 to bring the church forth out of obscurity has already been fulfilled in spectacular manner and continues to be fulfilled. I was reading in the news, I believe it was yesterday, that <clears throat> Governor uh, New York has made an official decree or declaration honoring the first vision of Joseph Smith. That's an amazing uh, bringing forth the church out of obscurity uh, thing to 
note in the news, also President Nelson has met with the Pope. There are just countless ways in which the church, even now, is being brought forth out of obscurity. And I better stop on that because we've got quite a bit more to do before our time is up here. We will look at verses 31 and 32. I love this. This is, to me personally, very important. For I, the Lord, verse 31, for I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. That's the way it is. But, and I love the nevertheless in verse 32, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. That's a simple fact. We will need to become perfect before we can become gods. That's kind of what verse 31 is saying, because can you imagine having children, spirit children of your own and as a god, as a husband and wife who are in exaltation, but you're not yet perfect? And you, can you imagine people on your earth praying to you and you're kind of in a bad mood that day because you're not quite yet perfect, and so you just zap them instead of answering their prayers. That's terrible, but uh, kind of the way I see it. So verse 31, someday we will be perfect, and then uh, we will have no inclination at all to commit sin because we'll be perfect. But for us mortals... Verse 32 is very comforting. This is the atonement of Jesus Christ. Verse 32, nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments. It's not enough to just stop sinning. We have to do the commandments. We have to fill in our lives, the spots that were used by committing sin. We have to fill those in and replace them by doing the commandments, living the commandments, doing good, and so forth. And this simple fact at the end of verse 32, they shall be forgiven. We all need that. Now let's look at something in verse 33 as we get close to finishing up here. I don't know whether you've had friends or acquaintances uh, from times past who have left the church and then you've met them several years later or sometime later and there used to be a, a light in their eyes when they were active in the church. They, they radiated the gospel. The spirit of the Lord was upon them and in them. And now, after they've left the gospel, left the church, uh, you've run into them, and the light is gone. Uh, I've had that happen in a few cases. It breaks my heart. But verse 33 kind of explains what's happened. Verse 33, And he that repents not... From him shall be taken even the light which he has received. That answers my question as to what happened to my acquaintances, my friends. 
from him shall be taken even the light which he has received. And that explains why the light is gone. Let's go to verses 35 to 36 and look quickly at something that is happening right now on earth. Maybe you've noticed uh, that there doesn't seem to be much gray area anymore as far as how a person lives his life or how a person lives her life. Verse 35 and also verse 36 together explain what's happening now. Verse five, 35, for I am no respecter of persons and will that all men shall know that the day speedily cometh. The hour is not yet. By the way, that's back in 1831. So there's been several years since then. The hour is not yet in 1831, but is nigh at hand when peace shall be taken from the earth and the devil shall have power over his own dominion. I've marked that in my scriptures. The devil shall have power over his own dominion. And then verse 36, and also the Lord shall have power over his saints. I love that, I marked that also. And out of the side of verse 35 and 36, I've put a little note in my own scriptures in my opinion, that that is happening now. There's just not much gray area anymore. Now, verse 37 is exactly what we're doing this year with the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, with the help, the marvelous help, the inspired help of the Come, Follow Me uh, studies that we will be doing weekly throughout the Doctrine and Covenants year. Let's read verse 37. This is what we'll be doing with Come Follow Me. Verse 37, search these commandments, for they are true and faithful, and the prophecies and promises which are in them shall all be fulfilled. I love that. Search these commandments, Come Follow Me gives us marvelous opportunities now. Let's, in our last few minutes, just look at a few examples of uh, the blessing of searching these commandments through Come Follow Me. Uh, when we get to section 45, verses 3 to 5, why don't you turn there to me? we will be given some great comfort regarding Judgment Day. Section 45, and we need to have verses 3 to 5. Section 45, I said I'd say it, try and say it three times. Section 45, verses 3 to 5. Now, imagine yourself on Judgment Day. Let's say you died kind of suddenly and you didn't have time to finish up some of the things you wanted to do. For instance, you've got some tithing money under the clothes in one of your drawers, and you didn't get that paid. You were also going to take a meal into a widow in your ward, but you didn't get a chance to do that. And as you're standing in line on Judgment Day, and I have no idea whether we stand in line on Judgment Day, 
but you have started to think about all the things you didn't get done before you died suddenly. And so you have kind of decided that you probably don't belong in celestial kingdom, but you're sort of hoping that you get at least into the terrestrial kingdom. And then the door opens and the host says, you're next, come in please. And as you stand there to be judged, you have already judged yourself, but listen to verses 3 to 5 in section 45. A magnificent being comes to your side. You can feel his glory. It's the Savior. And he says to the judge, by the way, do you know who the judge is? The judge is the Savior. John chapter 5 3 verse 5 says that Jesus is our final judge. Verse 3, listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, and he puts his arm around you and gives you a squeeze. Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, who's, he's your advocate, who is pleading your cause before him, and here's what he says saying, Father, behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin, that's Jesus, in whom thou wast well pleased. Behold the blood of thy son which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest, that thy, thyself might be glorified. In other words, look at the atonement that I performed regarding this, my beloved, brother or my beloved sister who is standing here worried on judgment day. Verse 5, wherefore, Father, spare this my brother or this my sister, I'm putting an in obviously, that believes on my name, that they may come unto me and have everlasting life. Everlasting life means exaltation. So, as we study the Doctrine and Covenants this year, we'll run into scripture blocks like this, where we are assured that the Atonement of Christ is going to work for us, and it gives us comfort and peace. Let's go to one other verse now, section 58, verses 42 and 43. Section 58, 42 and 43. That will be part of our marvelous experience as we search the Doctrine and Covenants. Section 58, 42. <clears throat> Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. By the way, that's just a flat-out fact. The same is forgiven. That's if we've repented. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. I had students on several occasions throughout my teaching career who had heard that uh, some various false doctrines about Judgment Day. For instance, one of them said one day, I've heard that all of our sins will actually be mentioned on Judgment Day in order for people to see how much I have been forgiven of and in order for them to appreciate even more the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's terrible. That's false doctrine. 
What does the Doctrine and Covenants tell us? What does the Savior tell us right here in the Doctrine and Covenants? Answer, verse 42, section 58, just a straight fact. Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. In other words, they will not be mentioned on Judgment Day even. We can remember them, of course. It helps us not to do it again. But he will remember them no more. In other words, he will not bring them up ever again. That's very comforting. Verse 43, how to do it. By this ye may know, if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. These are the kinds of beautiful things I'm going to take you to section 60, verse 7, uh, to show you some more wonderful doctrine in the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, I love verse 7 in section 60. And in this place, let them lift up their voice and declare my word with loud voices, without wrath or doubting. In other words, be peaceful and somewhat calm as you preach the gospel, lifting up holy hands upon them. Now, here's the phrase that I love here. For I, Jesus Christ, am able to make you holy. He can do it. He died for our sins. He qualified to bring all of us who will, through the way we live our lives, to bring all of us back to his Father in heaven and who is our Father in heaven. Let's finish verse 7. For I am able to make you holy. He can do it. And your sins are forgiven you. That is a most wonderful statement in the Doctrine and Covenants, and those are the kinds of things, as we do the Come, Follow Me, that we will be uh, involved with through study of the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Holy Ghost will bear witness in our souls deep down that these things are true, and I bear my witness that these things are true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.